Unorthodox with the Angry Behavior Analyst is a relief valve for stifled thoughts, theories, and opinions related to social science. Unorthodox is unfiltered, uncensored, and most importantly, uncancelable. The Angry Behavior Analyst is all triggers, no warnings. Women have traveled a long distance in terms of attaining equal rights as men. Some would even argue that we've traveled a farther distance to meet men halfway. The Betty Crocker homemaking mother that wipes noses, makes peanut butter jelly sandwiches, cooks for the mail, and takes care of household duties in 2022 really is a rarity. As more women are now in positions of power across multiple domains of society, not only the professions that are primarily dominated by women, say education and therapy. Men, on the other hand, are growing a little bit stagnant in the education and the workforce, both in the jobs that are available, the number of men that are committed to their work, and the rises in pay. While women are continuing to infiltrate the workforce and becoming more dominant in traditionally male roles, men are not only remaining stagnant in their roles, but their mental health is also entirely ignored in favor of a lot of activist movements and what is now even believed to be the modern day patriarchy, which is a very hot button issue. Which leads us into today's episode. We will be dissecting fourth wave feminism, mental health issues, and shedding some more light on the ways that men and women have both suffered. And I want to make it incredibly clear, the purpose of these topics is equality. Equality is a really hot word that we see and a really popular word that we see in trainings and corporate workshops and as this value that we're all trying to attain in different ways. And the purpose in discussing the issue with men and some issues with women is to see and envision a more amicable future for all of us. Let's begin with boys in the school system. We're dating kind of all the way back to preschool and kindergarten, where boys are already at a disadvantage from girls. While women are already ahead of boys because, or I should say little girls are ahead of boys because they mature faster. This is a known biological fact that girls mature faster than boys and they reach milestones and specifically emotional maturity faster than boys do, which is incredibly advantageous in a school system with all of the skills that are required to excel in a school system. While girls continue to catch up in school and the labor market, boys are rapidly falling behind in the classroom, which, as I just mentioned, could be argued is due in part to the fact that the educational system tends to favor women, which we'll get to in more detail in a little bit. Boys are 50% more likely than girls to fail at all three key school subjects. So between math, reading, and science, boys are 50% more likely to fail. Sure, we might say that something like math, especially the way math is taught now, beyond your basic arithmetic, subtraction, division, and 
any skills necessary to adequately learn finance as we get older, calculus might not be very useful unless you pursue a math degree. The sciences, chemistry might not serve us unless we're pursuing something involving chemistry. But the basic knowledge that we learn in math, reading, and science absolutely lends a hand to being able to succeed in the real world. And if boys are failing these almost foundational level educational pillars, it's worth noting that this tends to have trickling effects even into adulthood. But these are things that are very rarely discussed because of greater political issues like the gender pay gap or feminism or activism looking for equality between men and women. Which leads us to almost wonder, we as women have nothing standing in our way. We essentially can be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. We already do incredibly well in school. As we'll get to later on in the episode, almost every student in almost every single American college is a female student. So we're progressing in education, which already puts us ahead in our roles in the workforce. But moving back into the school system, if girls are known to mature at faster rates than boys, which is evident in how much better they perform in school, boys are that much less likely to graduate high school, let alone even go to college. In a study looking at how, at what rate exactly girls not only caught up, but uh, moved beyond boys in terms of their skill set, they're 14 percentage points more likely to be school ready at age five than our boys. Think about at age five. It's a time when boys are very commonly diagnosed with a learning disability or dyslexia or ADHD or ADD are two of the most common ones. And even with a disorder like autism, it's diagnosed four times more in boys than in girls. Boys are struggling in the educational system while girls are moving through it and are more likely to succeed in college and beyond. 88% of girls graduate high school versus 82% of boys. 6% might not seem like a very big difference, but here is the really shocking statistic that points out the disparity between boys and girls in this case. The male graduation rate is only slightly higher than 80% among poor students that graduate. So if 80% of poor students who are already economically disadvantaged, if 80% of them are graduating high school, 82% of boys in general are graduating. So boys are right on par with a disadvantaged poor population. And these are boys that are not, that would not qualify as being disadvantaged or even in a marginalized group. There are scientists and studies still scratching their heads wondering how on earth it could be that men are struggling so much more in school for reasons other than their prefrontal cortex not being fully developed until age 25 versus a woman or a girl who 
reaches full development a lot sooner and can make more sound emotional and rational decisions than a boy. It's also worth noting on the topic of school and subjects that STEM subjects, so science, mathematics, the physical sciences, chemistry, they still skew male, but this is not because females are discouraged from taking STEM courses. It's simply because males biologically and how they're hardwired are drawn to subjects that don't necessarily have to do with nurturing and compassion. This isn't to say that men lack compassion. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I will say is that biologically, and this is an inconvenient truth that gets a lot of hate, but it's true. Women are naturally and biologically more agreeable, more nurturing, more compassionate, and more conscientious versus men who are less conscientious, less agreeable, and less likely to pursue career choices like a social worker or a teacher or a therapist or a psychologist in which those compassionate traits are at the core of what it means to be a really successful um, human service professional. While women's presence within male-dominated fields continues to rise, a statistic in 2020 said that 43% of lawyers were actually women. Lawyers, Wall Street, finance, business, those are all professions that have historically been dominated by men. We don't see a lot of women on Wall Street. We're starting to see almost half of women and men overtaking these roles. However, in the human service professions and in the education professions, it is still almost entirely female. So men are actually considered a minority within these professions. The last point about colleges and education and how it skews towards females versus males is there is a massive decline in college enrollment between boy students and girl students and female students and male students. It's actually the decline itself is seven times greater for male students than for female students. And once enrolled, male students are far more likely to either stop, take a pause, or drop out entirely than are female students. So they're a lot more disadvantaged in ways than we believe or even like to admit, which leads into a a term that has received a lot of notoriety and a lot of love from certain camps, depending on where you fall in the activist movement, toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity is defined by Terry Coopers as the constellation of socially regressive male traits that serve to foster domination, the devaluation of women, homophobia, and reckless violence that makes men out to be criminals. It sounds as if we are describing Jeffrey Dahmer himself, except maybe aside from the homophobia piece. I'm not sure if the audience is familiar with Andrew Tate, but he was a social media, I guess you could call it an influencer is what they say. I hate to use the word star or celebrity. So we'll go with influencer. 
Andrew Tate was a male influencer that received huge crowds of young men supporting his message, but also massive crowds of feminist women that believed he was a an emphatic misogynist, which which he was. He the things that he said were very old school 1940s ways of thinking. He was very open about his statements regarding how women belong in the kitchen, women serve nothing more than sexual needs and basic survival needs like feeding someone and taking care of all of the the child related duties and how women essentially should be crowded in a pen if they ever were to go to work. So it's very difficult to argue that Andrew Tate was not your typical example of a misogynist or in the definition of Terry Cooper's someone that was uh, the toxicity of being a male. But I believe that Toxic masculinity is actually a complete misrepresentation of men. Because if there is something like toxic masculinity, there is also something like to- toxic feminine, f- feminineness, or whatever you want to call it, femininity. Toxic masculinity is a term that's now casually thrown around by more fourth wave modern 2022 young feminist that pertains to a male's natural tendency to be aggressive, destructive, and essentially a sinister person. But while masculinity can absolutely be destructive, femininity can also be destructive. We've seen femininity be incredibly destructive. We've seen how men and women are destructive in their own ways with men going back to biological traits, being more disagreeable. They might show their destruction in physical violence and physical assault while women, they premeditate and weave these endless webs of manipulation and lies and contortions of the truth. I will leave it up to debate entirely, as this is a very subjective question, which one is worse? Not saying it's a competition, but it's it's eye-opening when we look at the forms of destruction that are that have nothing to do with men, but have everything to do with the fact that we all have a little bit of savagery within us just because we are human beings. Men who do engage in criminal behavior, aggression, or even entitled behavior, even misogynistic behavior like someone representing or similar to Andrew Tate, it's not necessarily because of the toxicity of being a male. And we can't even argue that it's necessarily because of biology. We can't blame the biology, oh, I was born more disagreeable and less conscientious than women. Therefore, it is acceptable for me to engage in higher rates of destruction. It's more so a result of our learning history, societal expectations, and what has been reinforced and what has been punished. And the same exact thing goes for women. Women who engage in hate campaigns or cancellation campaigns, because if we look at cancel culture, it's primarily dominated by women. It's not because of the toxicity of being a woman. It's because this 
per this propagation of inappropriate entitled behavior and narcissistic behavior is continuously reinforced and rewarded whether that be whether, whether it be run by a female or a male that behavior in and of itself seems to not discriminate between genders what modern wave feminists say the quote unquote cure to male sicknesses conveniently is having all men and boys change their values to be more suitable to women, which I find to be a little bit of a hypocritical view because if we have always been fighting to bring more awareness to the perceived disparity between men and women, and we feel that men have controlled the narrative or dominated the workforce or have been in more positions of power and have been very domineering to ask all men to change their entire attitude and their values is us becoming the very thing that we hate and oppose in trying to get men to change for us, we have become the authoritarian, domineering, controlling, and even aggressive type of person that we claim to be against, which is a beautiful segue into the feminism movement. We're going to talk about two feminism movements in particular, because I think Previous waves of feminism have been a little bit more rational and emotionally centered versus this fourth wave 2022 modern day version of feminism, which it's difficult to determine if the the overall goal of fourth wave feminism is actually equal treatment. Fourth wave feminism focuses very heavily on intersectionality and that women are considered a marginalized and oppressed population. And they therefore require increased empowerment and increased equality. So there is this perception that there is a very large gap between men and women that needs to be decreased and that women are still in a position of one that is disadvantaged. Some would argue that fourth wave feminism is defined by technology. And when I say defined by technology, I mean the rise in all of these campaigns taking place primarily on and as a result of Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, any blog sort, Twitter, the Me Too movement and all of the hashtags that came with Me Too and male privilege and when the, the fourth wave feminism really bust through the seams was entirely, almost entirely, taking place on social media platforms. And all of the in-person protests and activist groups and movements that collaborated seemed to be birthed out of the hashtag itself. Feminists now within modern day feminism point to the majority of that quote unquote toxic male behavior that we see as being due to the patriarchy. And I'm doing air quotes with the patriarchy because that's another entity that we will debunk in a little bit. But 
very young women have taken to hashtagging, burn it down, take down the patriarchy, decrease the gap, because they believe, as mentioned earlier, that they truly are being oppressed by men and that women do need a larger and more prominent seat at the table. But I have an interesting scenario to outline why this might be the patriarchy is an outdated term. The young middle to upper class female that is attending a university could be an Ivy League, could be any university or college, but it's likely paid for that are posting and tweeting about the patriarchy that are posting and tweeting about how they drag their boyfriend to the gynecologist to watch them getting an IUD inserted because they're quote unquote salty about the Roe versus Wade Supreme court ruling the middle to upper class female that is probably wearing an Apple watch that is tweeting and hashtagging all of these patriarchal hashtags from her iPhone 14 and or from her iPad or computer while waiting for her Starbucks order to be dropped off that she was able to order from an app like Uber Eats. The person who dropped off that Starbucks order, let's say that they're a male. These women are claiming that the person that is dropping off their Starbucks order is their oppressor. I find that to be incredibly hard to believe with all of the features of this story, including the access to technology, the access to elite universities, the access to everything that anyone in this world has access to, are claiming that a delivery man with a pumpkin frappuccino latte is in fact oppressing them. At one point, feminism actually argued against the dangers of gender identity ideology and identity politics or Olympics. And they vehemently were collaborating to bring more awareness to the dangers of comparing men and women. So they were fighting for equality amongst women when women were not equal to men, when women were still considered lesser than and job opportunities were far lesser than and the gender pay gap was immense and more women were working within the home or were considered homemakers. Even those women within those movements still recognize the dangers of playing the identity ideology politics game and the potential downfall and really detrimental effects of demonizing one gender versus the other. And we're seeing a lot of that in modern day. We're seeing a lot of the modern wave feminism being spoken poorly or frowned upon by the old school feminists who believe that there is no need to punish men or any group for that matter. It's more about bringing awareness and speaking for ourselves versus tearing down another group. Because historically, building up something new and reforming something that already exists has always been more effective than burning something down and revolting entirely. 
much of current feminism engages in a lot of virtue signaling delusion, (laughs) always pointing to men as the source of evil, always pointing to the fact that men have more access to things that women don't, which kind of begs the question, one, what can men do that women can't do? And what do we believe we are owed more of? What are men afforded in 2022 that women are not? A lot of these questions still go unanswered because it's a very difficult topic for a lot of people to speak about. One of the main principles that is, I don't want to say demonized, but both frowned upon and even silently shamed (laughs) or disapproved of by old school feminists is the compelled speech and the restrictions on free speech having to do with discussions of people like Andrew Tate or being a little bit less gullible when it comes to women discussing their experiences. And this isn't to say that we don't believe anybody at all, but old school feminists see the harm in phrases like believe all women, because the same way we, these fourth wave feminists would hate to see something like believe all men, it goes the exact same on both sides. There are two sides to this story There are struggles amongst women that are equal to struggles amongst men. And the more we try to separate these two groups into who has suffered worse and how can we make sure we uphold some sort of punishment for the past or condemn men to reparations for the rest of their lives, it's important that we recognize that women are not the only people that are struggling men struggle in some ways that are just as detrimental, but in ways that are completely different, but that doesn't nullify their experience just because they are male. Current wave feminists that believe we live in an oppressive society lack perspective as to what oppression truly is. One of the most recent examples and cases of a truly oppressive regime was what happened with Masa Amini. Masa Amini is an Iranian woman who wears a hijab. So for those of us that don't know what a hijab is, uh, within their culture, they have to cover their hair. Masa Amini took off her hijab and was beaten to death. That is what oppression is. That is what a patriarchal society actually looks like. So when we see women on what's called a slut walk fighting for victims of rape and victims of of sexual assault, which I 1000% support, rape and sexual assault is not something to be taken lightly and there needs to be support for women that suffer these things as there needs to be support for men that suffer sexual assault and rape. I don't think that wearing a vagina hat and walking around Manhattan in our underwear claiming that uh, we are being sexually objectified by men is the most effective means of 
attaining equality or the most effective means of supporting people who have been sexually assaulted or raped in countries like Iran, like a lot of Middle Eastern countries, like North Korea, like Saudi Arabia, not only would you not be able to leave the house unless you were covered head to toe entirely, but if you even spoke out of turn or spoke at all in some cultures, they would make nothing of stoning you to death. They would make nothing of beheading you. So when we say all while wearing a bra and underwear parading down Fifth Avenue that men are the source of all evil, you could see where there is a huge, almost diluted sense of reality. In what other country would we be able to do something like that without being physically assaulted, sexually assaulted, verbally assaulted, yet we're claiming to be oppressed, which is, again, something I, I find incredibly, incredibly mind-boggling. Men being the CEOs of most Fortune 500 companies, men occupying most of Wall Street, is not because women are given less of an opportunity to do so. This, a lot of it ties back to the biological traits and interests of men versus women. Women are not excluded from being the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, nor are they excluded from working on Wall Street. You just see a lot fewer women vying for these positions because they pursue different, different careers and different courses of life, whether that be children, whether that be a different job entirely, whether that be working part-time. The work of men and women is incredibly different. That doesn't mean that one is above the other, or one receives more benefits than the other because of gender alone. The gender wage gap is a hotly debated topic because of the reasons mentioned having to do with women apparently believe that they are not making enough money on the dollar that a man does, or that again, many male dominated roles like working on wall street or in finance or being the CEO or a Jeff Bezos type of role is not accessible to women, which is absolutely untrue. Women are, not only are they pursuing more male-dominated domin roles now, as mentioned earlier, half of lawyers, for example, almost half of lawyers now are women. They're per not only are they dominating more male roles within the, um, the labor market, but they're permitted to do so. Nothing stops any woman from wanting to be a Jeff Bezos. Nothing stops any woman from wanting to work on Wall Street. While women are progressing in the labor market, men, growing numbers of men, are actually detaching from paid work, 
growing numbers of men are actually losing their jobs. Their wages are not rising the way that women's wages have risen. And they work in the same company for decades without seeing such a stark increase in pay and opportunities and benefits that we would see in women. One of the most shocking statistics I saw, and shocking in the sense that um, it's not surprising that this is attainable because I believe women could do anything a man can do and vice versa, but shocking in the sense that we're still holding on to this idea of the patriarchy is that women are now the breadwinner in 41% of households. That is almost half of households where women are the ones that are the top earners in their family. And I know what questions or statements or rebuttals I will get. Well, Kayla, it's not 50%, which means that men are at an advantage. To which I will say that there's very, very, very little evidence that women are actually paid less than men to do the same work. Women simply do different work or they work differently or both. So when women take more time off of work to tend to children, which is a choice often that women make, that could account for a, a difference in pay. Women who give birth and go on maternity leave, again, all because they choose to do so, and maybe bow out of the workforce entirely for, for a few years at a time while the male goes to work and they are the earner in their family, that is a reason why we see differences in pay. But when you look at careers, let's just, for example, use a very high paying career like a surgeon. For men and women that are both surgeons, there's actually evidence that women get paid more than men to work within the same role. We focus so heavily on the perceived differences between men and women, many of which are coming from 1950, which obviously was, can't believe that was 70 years ago. We are white knuckling the idea that women are still perceived the way that they were in the fifties. And we're losing sight of the fact that there are actually more differences within classes than between classes. So there are actually greater differences amongst women and amongst when men than between women and between men. There are more differences in psychotherapists versus male psychotherapists and female psychotherapists, for example. The, the decline of men's role in the labor market can lead to a lot of declines in men's mental health, which is, again, something that is, I don't want to say entirely ignored because there are a lot of men who have evolved to the point of seeking out therapy or doing whatever they need to do to become a little bit more of a feelings type of person, if you will. But the decline of the male, the expectations now that men should take a backseat to women and all of the things that we're teaching very young boys about how men are essentially born into positions of power or uh, that they are born as oppressors has had incredibly detrimental hits on men's mental health. 
When we look at something like male privilege or the patriarchy, it is very hard to see male privilege or the patriarchy when we look at the statistics of men's suffering. Amongst men, suicide is the leading cause for men under the age uh, under the age of 35. So 3 out of 4 people who die by suicide are actually men. 87% of people that are homeless are men. Most people within the prison system are men. 94% of people who die at work are men. Most people who die at war are men. Men are three times more likely to develop a drug and alcohol dependence than women. And with all of these struggles and all of these mental anguish, I don't know if any audience member has experienced alcohol dependence or seen it or witnessed it within their family or close friendship circle, but it requires sometimes a lifetime of therapy and a lifetime of support, whereas women are more apt to seek out therapy and more open to discussing their struggles with a professional, men have considerably less social support than women and are far less likely to seek out therapy than women. And this goes back to the labor market as well, where sometimes in certain domains of life, Women feel more comfortable talking to women and men feel more comfortable talking to men. But with therapy being mostly dominated by women, it might be difficult for a male to feel comfortable discussing his issues with a female psychotherapist or psychologist or what have you. And that has nothing to do with discrimination. That has nothing to do with the patriarchy or male privilege. It simply has to do with the fact that we are entitled to confide in whoever we feel comfortable with. Many women feel uncomfortable seeing a male gynecologist. Many men feel uncomfortable seeing a female urologist. These are these are kind of just innate things where we're not necessarily encouraging tribalism, but there is some degree of men being hardwired a certain way, women being hardwired a certain way, and we understand and relate to how we're wired, especially as we grow older, especially when we experience issues almost entirely specific to our biological sex, you can see where it would be daunting for a male to try to seek out a another male that they would trust enough to confide in with issues as, as difficult as suicidal thoughts or ideation or depression or alcohol dependence. One of the really, really, really concerning things I saw when statistics like these, the the men struggling and men's mental health statistics became more public was the response from fourth wave feminism, feminists. It was, oh, there's only three out of four people who die by suicide. Let's make it four out of four. Or 94% of people who die at work, why are we not at 100%? There was a huge backlash of women almost angry that men's mental health was 
being brought to not even the forefront, but just next to all of the issues that women face. So there was this idea that, well, women have a lot of mental health issues too. Women struggle immensely with the same issues as men. This isn't to say that women can't or won't develop drug and alcohol dependence or that women don't die at work. But there was almost this feeling of resentment that how dare you bring up the fact that men could actually be suffering because, of course, the patriarchy and women are suffering already. Why do we care if men are? It was almost seen as something that was deserved versus something that was worth looking into as just as important and just as pertinent as women's mental health. It's difficult to determine the goal of current feminism as we compare it to past feminism, because in the past, the goal was equality. The goal was an amicable future for men and women. The goal was giving both genders equal respect and equal access and the equal opportunity to live a meaningful life. But I feel like we already have that. I feel like we already are in a position where we, as I've mentioned throughout this episode already, where we share a lot of the same struggles as men, where we share a lot of the same triumphs as men, and we're all afforded as equal as it can get opportunities to succeed and be happy and live a life that is meaningful to us. Much of what we're fighting for, or we believe we're fighting for, we already have. If we are willing enough to take a step back from our own bias and take a step back from the blind conformity to the beliefs that we that we read about and hear about pertaining to men and pertaining to the sinister toxic nature of being a male we will be faced with the inconvenient truth that truly nothing stands in our way as women we can be powerful and independent on our own we could empower ourselves without having to tear anybody else down we don't need any more regulations in place. We don't need to do slut walks. We don't need to wear vagina hats. We can be just as successful and happy and independent as any male. Because again, everything that is afforded to men, it's also afforded to women. The patriarchy is incredibly outdated in the Western world. There is nothing excluding us from being in positions of power. And quite honestly, it is a disastrous position to take for young women that we're teaching them that they must see themselves as disadvantaged and vulnerable because there's no connection to reality in those statements. They're not disadvantaged and they're not vulnerable. They are powerful human beings that have full license to take responsibility and accountability and achieve whatever in the world they want to. We seem to like to believe that when things get difficult, that must mean that we're disadvantaged. When things feel too hard, we want to put a regulation 
in place. If we want true equality, I'm not even going to say for men and women, if we want equality and we want equal dignity and respect for whatever gender or group or what have you that you assign yourself to, we have to change the way we approach people and we have to change the way we approach problems. I'm going to say that one more time. If we want the dignity and respect that we believe we're fighting for, it has nothing to do with separating people into groups. We have to change the way we approach people and we have to change the way that we approach problems. I dare everyone to be truthful in the face of danger and to be courageous enough to be disliked. And I guarantee you, you will surprise yourself with what you're able to handle. Hope you guys liked this episode. If you have any thoughts, questions, comments, or concerns, I am dying to hear them. You can shoot me an email. My email's in the show notes. We will see you next time. Ha, ha, ha.